0: I do think investment in public health infrastructure and preparedness will be critical going forward. Um, we have um, done this to some extent in the past, but I think not in um, as robust a way as we, as we really need to think beyond ventilator stockpiles, um, but really to the human connections that prepare us to identify and respond to a threat like this.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Isles, President and CEO
2: of AHA. And I'm your co-host, Laura Evans. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, health insurance providers have taken decisive action to support our frontline health care workers and make sure that every American can get the health care they need. Now, with multiple COVID-19 vaccines available, health insurance providers are working to ensure that all Americans have easy access to authorized vaccines free of cost. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.
1: Today, our guest is Dr. Lisa Maragakis, Senior Director of Infection Prevention at the Johns Hopkins Health System. She's also an Associate Professor of Medicine at Johns Hopkins, and her research interests include epidemiology and the prevention and control of healthcare-acquired infections. Dr. Maragakis, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
2: So, doctor, obviously your work is so more so important right now, now more than ever. And um, I'm curious, during this pandemic, you know, y- y- you became interested in, in pre- preventing infectious diseases um, long, long ago. But I, but I've got to ask, when you started your career, did you ever anticipate that we would be in a situation like we are right now?
0: You know, Laura, it's almost impossible, I think, for any of us to really have imagined um, the, the scope of uh, of this pandemic and what it's truly like to live through it and, and respond to this infectious disease threat. Um, that being said, uh, you know, I think anyone who studies infectious diseases knows that, unfortunately, um, these types of events do predictably come periodically, and they have throughout human history. Um, and so I have been part of a lot of planning activities, preparedness um, activities. Uh, but again, you know the the scope of of it is is truly unimaginable. And I hope that we can take a lot of the lessons that we are learning right now and strengthen our preparedness in the future going forward.
1: So, obviously, you've spent a lot of time thinking about infectious disease uh, throughout the course of your career. How does COVID-19 compare to the research and work that you've done on other infectious diseases?
0: Well, this is one of the biggest threats um, in that it is a novel pathogen. So an infectious um, pathogen that has emerged, that um, no one has immunity, and, and that's obviously what causes uh, its ability to, to to spread so widely and cause such devastation. Um, I I think, therefore, you know, the response uh, that my team and I have been engaged in um, is unparalleled, really, in in anything that um, that we have seen before. Of course, we've investigated outbreaks and um, have a a lot of experience and expertise in preventing the transmission of infectious diseases, particularly in the healthcare setting, Um, uh, but you know, the, the scope of this, um, as it has been for everyone, is just beyond anything that any of us have ever seen.
2: And I've got to ask you too, the, the COVID pandemic has overlapped with the flu season this year, as we all know. So how, and, and we've, we've seen, though, far fewer cases and deaths of the flu than we have in past years. So if you would talk about why this might be the case, is it because we're, you know, we're wearing our masks and we're socially distanced? Or is there something else at play here?
0: It's such a great question, and it's it's one of the rare silver linings in the um, the pandemic situation and what has otherwise been an extraordinarily challenging year. Um, you might remember that leading up to the fall, um, many of us were talking about the bleak prospect of a, a dimmick, as we as we called it, and really what could happen not only to individuals. Um, who might uh, be co-infected with SARS-CoV-2 virus along with influenza or another respiratory virus, Um, but also the effect that that would have on our healthcare system in terms of um, the surge of patients who would need respiratory support and hospitalization. Thankfully, that has not come to pass. As you say, we have seen almost no influenza this year. And um, I think there's several reasons for that. We we can't be yeah, we can't know for sure why, um, but we do know that more people uh, in the United States than a typical season actually availed themselves of getting the influenza vaccine this year. Um, mm. So in anticipation of respiratory virus season, we saw record numbers of flu vaccinations, and that that's a great thing. And then as you say, we're taking um, respiratory precautions uh, at a really unprecedented uh, level in terms of mask usage. Um, uh, physical distancing, staying, uh, staying home when possible, a lot of schools are still on closed or modified schedules. And, and then finally, travel uh, has really been uh, curtailed in a big way. So I think all of these things came together. And uh, in future seasons, uh, you know, I hope that we can keep some of that uh, in place, obviously not at a lockdown level, but carrying some of these things forward to save lives in future respiratory virus seasons.
1: What's your advice to people in the coming months as we start to see more vaccinations? We know supply is the biggest problem right now, but, you know, how should they prepare? What steps should they be taking? And how, finally, should we be thinking maybe about some of these new strains of the uh, virus and, and how they might relate to some of the vaccines that are out there?
0: It's such a great question. We're we're really in a critical time in the pandemic response, Um We see this wonderful light at the end of the tunnel. Um, We have vaccines available and more on the horizon. And so it it is a very hopeful time. Um, But as you say, we also have the the threat of the variants and the virus mutating um, and and threatening to, um, you know, potentially undo a lot of that great work that, that is done. So I view us as essentially in a race with the virus right now. And it's so important that we keep up our infection prevention um, activities. And uh, I know everyone is so tired of it, Um, but I think this critical window of time, if we can continue practicing masking, physical distancing, limiting our our in-person gathering, especially indoors, even after having natural infection with COVID-19 and recovering or after vaccination, while we roll out the vaccinations and get to that, you know, magical herd immunity level, it's gonna take some time, there's significant challenges ahead, um, but but I think we can uh, get the pandemic under control. I guess one thing I would caution everyone is to not feel like it is a light switch that's going to happen and suddenly one day we will announce that we're back to normal. I think it's gonna be a slow process, Um, And uh, the more that we can encourage everyone to get vaccinated, solve some of these challenges with vaccine supply and distribution, uh, we will get there. I'm confident of it. um, But we just all need to work together and and keep up infection prevention in the in the uh, process.
2: And you talk about it not being a light switch. Uh, is there is there something that keeps you up at night as you look forward, as you look ahead? Is it the variant? Is it people getting back to it too quickly? What What is it that concerns you right now?
0: The combination of those two um, is, is really my biggest concern mm-hmm. right now. So the variants are emerging um, it's evolution in process. Viruses reproduce so um, often, make so many copies of themselves that you can really see mutations arriving, arising rather at a, a very rapid um, pace. And I, I think we've gotten to a, a tipping point. We did not see meaningful mutations and variants for a very long time, but now we're simultaneously detecting um, all different kinds of, of variants, and seeing a convergence of some of the mutations that are arising independently, and and some of these mutations confer an advantage um, to be more transmissible, perhaps more deadly, or evading our immune system uh, and, and the vaccines and therapeutics. So um, that's that concept of racing. And so what what worries me is that if we open up too soon or or drop let down our guard, um, and the variants continue to emerge, which they will if the virus is still being transmitted, that we'll we'll miss this window of opportunity um, while we're trying to get everyone vaccinated and shut it down.
2: And let me ask you one more question along those lines that keeps coming up over and over again, because as a larger part of our older population has gotten their vaccine, and now their second vaccine, uh, you know, the question comes up about you know, if our grandparents have had their and our parents have had their shots now, is it okay to hug? Is it okay to visit? What's your take on that? When is it okay?
0: You know, this is the such an important question. And we're all so tired of of, of having these barriers to our social connections, particularly with family and, and those who are vulnerable to severe consequences of the disease. I would encourage everyone to still follow the precautions Our our CDC guidelines still say that even after being fully vaccinated, it's safest to continue wearing masks and practicing physical distancing. I do think that we will get to a point in the future, hopefully the near future, when the cases are coming down, the viral transmission is much less than it is now. And then we can start to slowly roll back some of those things among groups of people who are vaccinated. Okay.
2: All right. And even though we're not through the pandemic yet this year, what, what are some of the lessons you think that we will take from this past year? You talked about the flu and you know the, the lessons that we've learned in social distancing and how well that worked with the flu uh, virus this year. But what, what, what do you think we will learn going forward?
0: Well, we've certainly learned a lot about this particular virus, um, and and I think we'll be more um, prepared in the future, and and have new um, therapeutics, new vaccines, new approaches. Um, but I think in terms of lessons, you know that that we've learned. In the course of the pandemic response, um, one of the things I would point to is the value of preparedness activities. Um, We have in some ways been very unprepared, unfortunately, um, both in the United States and around the world. So I think we can learn lessons from that. But we can also look at what what went right and and where investments were made that um, were were very um, beneficial, that we had... Um, you know, an ability to leverage public health and, um, and and preparedness activities. And I would advocate, of course, that's my job is prevention. And I would advocate that we um, seriously consider how to strengthen that infrastructure in the future. This will not be the last novel pathogen um, that we will face. And so I, I think that's very important and, and really worldwide collaboration, um, strengthens all of our abilities to, to overcome a threat like this.
1: Yeah, it's uh, such an important point. And you know, we ask all our, que- all our uh, guests this final question uh, and maybe I'll put a little twist on it, which is what do you think the next big thing in health is? And you know, from your perspective, what's the next big thing in infectious disease and maybe public health preparedness as we think about the future?
0: Well, I think um, you know several things come to mind. Um, w- one of them is uh, is about equity and access. Um, we we have seen, um, I, I think, really a spotlight in the pandemic on inequity and lack of, of access to healthcare and and the kinds of disparities that that can exacerbate in in our um, society that really ultimately threaten everyone. Um, so the to the extent that we can solve some of those issues. I think that will be very important. You know, we've talked about investment. I do think investment in public health infrastructure and preparedness will be critical going forward. Um, we have um, done this to some extent in the past, but I think not in um, as robust a way as we, as we really need to think beyond ventilator stockpiles, um, but really to the human connections that prepare us to identify and respond to a threat like this. And um, so I think, I think those things will, um, will be very important. And, um, and that we really you know, translate all of these lessons um, that, that we're learning into future actions. I, I recently read an account of the 1918 influenza uh, pandemic and it was disheartening to realize how few of the lessons from that, um, that pandemic we really carried forward. Um, and, and so hopefully we'll do better this time around.
2: Very interesting. Well, Dr. Lisa Marigakis, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your insight.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Vaccines save lives and they're essential to helping us overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Health insurance providers are actively working with their local, state, and federal partners to encourage widespread uptake of COVID-19 vaccines and halt the spread of the disease. Working together, we can and will overcome the COVID-19 crisis. Visit ahip.org to learn more about what health insurance providers are doing to help get Americans vaccinated.
1: Thanks again for tuning into this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health be sure to sign up for our email list at ahip.org backslash next big thing and subscribe and share with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.